Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. I want you to, to use your redeemed imagination right now and, and, and see this scenario in your mind. Before there ever was a world created, before there were ever any human beings, God existed in community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is shown by Jesus to be the one who laid out the plans of both creation and also was not surprised by, but actually gave human beings choices that mattered, so much so that we chose uh, to rebel against him, to disobey him, And the Father had that in his mind even before the creation ever took place. And the scriptures tell us us, that he loved you before you were ever created. And that the, the way that it unfolded is very much like what we see in Isaiah chapter 6, where the voice of God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and says, who will go for us? And who shall we send? And what you see is the father says that. And the son says, I will go. And I will redeem the people for myself. I will become their sacrifice. I'll become their substitute. I will satisfy the justice and the holiness. So that they can be friends of God and sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now... He came to earth, and in his ministry here on earth, he did not do it in his deity, though he is fully God. He did it in his spirit-inspired, spirit-equipped, spirit-filled humanity. And what we, what we find is that that spirit-fullness in him was a charisma that drew even the most sinful people in the society. It wasn't a compliment when the religious leaders said, you're a friend of sinners. You eat with and drink with uh, wine bibbers and gluttons and all of these things that, so interesting that his charisma drew the most needy, the most desperate, the most outcast of society. And what we see in this is that Jesus is the prophet of God. He's not a prophet of God. He is the prophet of God. He speaks for God. He speaks as God to us. But he does so in this spirit-anointed humanity. Let me show you what I mean by this. He says to his people, It is better for you that I go. Because what I'm going to do is this. The same way he said that you see me speaking in this spirit anointing, this spirit filling. I'm going to make it so that my spirit fills every one of you. So that instead of some of you having an experience with me, every believer will have the experience of me indwelling them, filling them, equipping them, and anointing them for the exact same mission that I committed to to my Father. Now I'm committing you to that mission. And in Revelation 19.10, it says that this witness of Jesus or this testimony of Jesus is actually the spirit of prophecy. It's not... It's not a little thing here, friends. It's a big thing that is happening because Jesus is basically saying there will be no drop off in the church. When I leave, there'll actually be acceleration. And so you see that in the first century church. In the first century church, they do the exact same things Jesus did. The blind are healed. The lame walk. The demonized are set free. The sick are healed. Every day the Lord adds, adds to their number. Now, the problem with a lot of Christians today is that they start to think, well, that's extraordinary, but that was for the first century. 
But Jesus didn't say it's better for just the first century that I go. He said it's better for every believer that I go and for every generation I go. Now, here's what I'd like you to understand. When the gifts of the Spirit were evident in Jesus' life, which they were, that's what he operated in. He operated in the gifts of the Spirit. When the gifts of the Spirit were operating, they were not suspending the natural order. They were restoring the natural order. You see, being sick is not the natural. It's unnatural. Being demonized is not natural. It's unnatural. And so what Jesus has asked you and I to do just like he asked the first century to do, is he asked that because he's the prophetic, charismatic, sent from God, he's asking the church to be a community of prophetic, spirit-inspired, spirit-equipped, spirit-filled men and women. And, interestingly enough, there are a lot of people who say, well, all this stuff has ceased because we have the Bible. Well, Paul says, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, as far as I can tell, the second coming hasn't happened. Either, either that or none of you are Christians and all those other people got raptured and we're still here. So if he has not yet come back, then the gifts that the Corinthians were being, you know, thanking God for are still in effect. Amen. And Paul said, eagerly desire those gifts. Why is that? He says, eagerly desire those gifts for this reason, that the same spirit that filled Jesus is the same spirit that fills every single believer. So you might be the most vile person in this room, and I'm trying to see who you are. But if, I think I hear some of you. But if you are filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the same Spirit that filled Jesus to do His work. The issue is not the Spirit, the issue is you. Now the prophetic, and what I'm trying to do in these three weeks that we've been working on this together, I'm trying to get you to do two things. Number one, I'm trying to get you to realize that as a believer, you're a, your shepherd says that you're his sheep and you know his voice. And that real obedience is not just doing what you think is right, but actually tuning your heart to God's heart, hearing God's voice, and following him faithfully. Your voice and his voice should be the only voice you hear in your head. But here's the thing. Is God never does an inward work that doesn't have an outward effect. So he doesn't just give you his voice so you feel better about you. He gives your vo you his voice so that you can accomplish his mission. So here's what prophetic is. It's the outward expression. In other words, prophetic, real prophetic, is the verbalized expression of God's thoughts. They may come to you by pictures, by song, by, by words themselves, by scripture, whatever it might be, but he gives it to you in a way that you can verbalize it because it's not for you. It comes from him to you for another, either a person, a group, or whatever it might be. And when it's really God, then the timing is perfect and the situation is perfect. Real prophetic doesn't fall to the ground. It hits its mark. It always hits its mark. And so what I want you to understand is the scriptures say that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the spirit of prophecy. If you have the Holy Spirit, actually, he is, he never gives his gifts without giving himself. So if you have him, you have his gifts. You didn't get a lesser Holy Spirit. You got the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
is an awesome reality when you begin to realize this is true of every one of us in this room who calls Christ our Savior. We've been born with the Spirit that raised Him from the dead, and we're indwelt with the Spirit that gave Him His miracles. But most of us, really what happens is we still have this Old Testament idea of prophetic. And the New Testament idea of prophetic is really, is really quite different, and it, it is quite progressed. The Old Testament idea was that, script, that this, this prophetic anointing would come on these singular individuals, like an Elijah or Elisha, on uh, Isaiah or Moses or these different ones. And often what would happen, they were kind of these, in a way, lone wolf individuals. Well, think about this with me. God was establishing the Bible. He was establishing Scripture. He was writing the books of the Bible for all time. His logos, his, his eternal word was coming forth through these really rare and unusual, in some ways, situations. In the New Testament, the Scriptures say that you have that same spirit that Elijah had, or Elisha has, every believer has, not a lesser spirit, actually a greater spirit. Jesus said that the greatest in the Old Testament is not even close to the least of the new covenant believers. Why is that? Well, this is, this is what blows my mind. Somehow God grew. I don't know how this happens, and I almost feel like it's heresy when I say it. But yet, what we see is something happened to the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit that, that they received had not been yet incarnated, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But it's a Spirit we have actually incarnated, brought into the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he anointed Jesus for his perfect obedience and for his ministry. And so he moved in Jesus in a way which he had never moved in any other person before Jesus. He sent Jesus to his death, just like he sent him to the wilderness to be tempted. He then, in Jesus' death, applied all of your sin and all of your sickness and all every... He, Jesus became cancer. He became... He became, you know, your sexual immorality. He became your gossip. He became your lies. He became all those things. The Spirit put that on him. The devil didn't put it on him. The Spirit put that on him. And then the weight of that took him down into death. But then as death had no hold on Jesus, the Spirit brought him back to life. He ascended into heaven with Jesus. And then Jesus says on Pentecost, now go. And he sent not just the Holy Spirit, he spent, sent the Spirit of Christ. So that in every one of you, it is better than if Jesus were walking with you and talking with you every single day. If your spirit rose up when you heard the hope of glory lives in me, well, that's the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who raised Jesus from the dead. You know Moses didn't have that, you have it. Elijah never had that. You had it. And so the issue isn't the spirit. The issue is you. But here's the thing. Even if you're the worst person in this room, if you suddenly realize, wait a minute, there's no limitations on my life now. My past can't limit me. My education doesn't limit me. My finances doesn't limit me. If I will surrender and yield to the same spirit that conquered death and the grave and sin, then therefore I can be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen. But you see, then Christianity is not morality. It's not a comparison of moralities. It's not a comparison of religions or theology. It has to be an experience of power. And you and I have to begin to yield ourselves and realize there's so much more for us if we're willing to go there. But here's the thing I want you to hear from me. Hear this really clearly. There are some people who speak for God, but their lives are a mess. I really can't trust somebody whose life isn't together to speak to me about how to get my life together. 
So if you're not hearing clearly for yourself, what you're hearing for others is false. It's hollow. has very little meaning. So the first thing that I've pushed for two weeks is you have to hear from God for yourself. Notice what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. So if you're not following him, either you're resisting his voice or it's not his voice that you're listening to. So what is it about New Testament prophetic that's so different? Well, number one is it is clear from New Testament teaching that everything you think you hear from God has got to be tested. It has to be weighed. You cannot just say, thus saith the Lord. Especially if you say that, I question you, because I don't think he speaks in King James at all. I think just pompous, religious, sanctimonious people speak in King James. Because he says, my sheep hear my voice. I don't hear King James. Nobody else speaks to me in King James. I'm, please hear me in this. I'm trying to stir up religious spirits right now. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If what is being said is not weighed properly, then what will get in will be false. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20. Paul says, don't despise prophecies. Remember, he's the one who said, eagerly desire the gifts. We're not just trying to suspend the natural order. We're trying to restore the natural order. When the kingdom comes, it's, it's incredible and wonderful, but it's a restoration of what God intended. So don't despise prophecies, he says, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Over this week and next week, I'm, I, I'm pushing with you a little bit to uh, use an acronym. I call it top prophetic. Okay, I don't want bottom prophetic. I don't want mediocre prophetic. I don't want false prophetic. I want top prophetic. And top for me stands for testing, obeying, and praying. If it's not tested, it's really suspect. If we don't obey it, why would he give it to us? And most of what he gives to us is for praying. A lot of us love to preach, but really what God gives to you in the secret place is usually for prayer. So those three things, will you say it with me? Testing, obeying, praying. That's the top prophetic. Today we'll just look at testing together. So I want you to have a really clear distinction between the Old Testament prophetic and the New Testament. You live in the New Testament. You don't live in the Old Testament. Jesus has come. He has made a will. He died to enforce the will. And in his resurrection, he gives you the Holy Spirit as the down payment of the will that he made for you. And so we're New Testament people. There is a distinction between Old Testament and New Testament prophetic. In the New Testament, all believers have a relationship with God and can hear him speaking to them personally. Therefore, prophecy is confirmation of what is already heard through relationship. God was saying new things through his prophets, but now he has spoken all that he wants to speak in terms of timeless truth through Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate and final word of God. He has set the logos. There are 66 books. You won't add a 67th. But here's the thing. All of us need a dynamic expression verbalization of what God is saying to us today. We need that logos, that timeless word, to have a rhema today, now, to see how to apply it appropriately. And also, it's a beautiful thing when God takes old things and makes them new in our lives. You know what Jesus said? A new commandment I give to you. And you're like, okay, what is it? He goes, love one another. And you go, wait a minute. It sounds like an old commandment. What is he saying? I, I am giving you a fresh insight into this old commandment so that when you receive it, it feels new. 
Are you tracking with me on this? So here, New Testament prophecy is it's so powerful in the scripture that every time prophetic is mentioned in the New Testament, it's for strengthening, for encouragement, and for comfort. All right, say that with me, will you? Strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. Who would fear that? If you're getting strengthened by the word, if you're getting encouraged, if you're being comforted. See, the problem is that we've had people who called themselves prophetic and they were just really irritating jerks. Because they said, I'm just, I just have to say what the Lord's telling me. No, you don't. If it's not strengthening, shut up. If it's not comforting, it's not God. If it's not edifying, if it's not building up, if it's not encouraging, it's you. And you don't have much mind left to give another piece of. See, we've had, we have allowed people to say they're speaking for God when they're just speaking out of their own pride and their own need and their own irritations and their own critical. Look, if it's not one of these three, then it's not New Testament prophetic. And even if you're, you're trying to help someone who's in error, you're not trying to destroy them. You're not trying to prove you're right and win the argument. You're trying to redeem them and restore them. Let those who are caught in sin, Paul said, be restored gently. Wow, that would take an incredible amount of humility to be able to do that. Well, have you ever thought about this very closely? God wants to speak through you. Do you not know what a moron you are? I mean, who has spoken more hurtful things than you to yourself? I mean, how many of you ever done that thing where words are coming out of your mouth and you're like, can I somehow grab them and pull them back in? And then once they're out, you can't undo them? I mean, nobody made you do that. You did that. And even in this room, nobody has hurt you more than you or let you down or disappointed you. But the God who speaks in the Lord Jesus Christ now wants to make his appeal to every family member of yours, every friend of yours, every co-worker, fellow student, even strangers at the gas station. He wants to make the appeal of Jesus through you as a vessel. That is humbling. Because what he will give you is deeper truth than you could ever educate yourself into. And he'll give you words that speak to the very heart of the people that he has given you the words for. If that doesn't make you humble, no amount of education can get this kind of effect. Please hear me in this. When you submit to this, even though you are imperfect, but when you submit to this, people will know that you have been with Jesus. People will see, not because of your morality, which glorifies you, or behavior, which glorifies you, but they will see a presence, a charisma in you that's bigger than you. And they will be drawn to it. And it will amaze you when they recognize this, when they see the tenderness and the sweetness. But it only comes... When we were committed that, it's not just my word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak encouragement. I'm going to speak out of humility. I'm going to speak out of love. And even when I correct someone, I am correcting them not to show them how right I am, but I'm correcting them for their sake to love them and to bless them. Can I, I just want to hit this one more time. The Bible says over and over again, never speak the truth without love. Because, you see, when you speak truth without love, it's not truth. And when you love without truth, it's not love. There are lots of people who speak the truth and say, I just have to tell you the truth. I just have to get this off my chest. But in that moment, they're actually being disobedient. They're not speaking as a witness of Jesus. They're speaking out of their own hurt, their own pain, and out of their own selfishness. And those words will never have the effect you want them to have. Because even if you win the argument, you lose the war. You're like, man, I wish I hadn't come today. <laughs> I mean, think about, 
even in our marriages. This has been one of the hardest things because I, I tell you, no one can irritate me more in an argument than Lisa does. And I, she did, there's a button she pushes in me, and I start going, you always, and you never. And of course, immediately she goes, do I always? Do I never? You see, and I know that's going to be a long night after that. <laughs> see, because in that moment, I'm not speaking the truth in love. I'm not trying to encourage her. I'm not trying to comfort her. I'm trying to hurt her. I'm trying to hurt her because she hurt me or her words hurt me or something hurt me and I want her to feel what I felt and I don't ever want her to do it to me again. So in those moments when I most need the word of God, I have the word of Mike. And so instead of it becoming something where I'm saying, I, I do think there's something that needs to be corrected in our marriage, I attack the person who made the error instead of attacking the error. You didn't know you'd get marriage counseling today, right? <laughs> See, and the amazing thing is that we can religious, we can make religious any of these things. When early in our marriage, I used to quote to her, submit to me, dear. And she would say, if you say that one more time, I'm going to submit something to you. And you know... And whenever you see, whenever you see someone beating someone up with the Bible, you can be pretty sure it's not the truth being spoken in love. And it's not love being spoken in truth. And so many of us, what we realize, if we really are going to be prophetic, he is going to work on our character. And he's going to break those areas of, of pride and he's going to break those areas of impatience because he wants you to quit wasting your words. See, every time it's your word trying to affect or make a result, you're wasting your time. But when you have his word, it will always have the desired effect. See, when God speaks, the sea comes into seaness. When God speaks, the clouds come into cloudness. But when you speak your word, nothing happens. It's only when it's the testimony of Jesus that you begin to see the natural order restored and the unnatural order destroyed. Are you hearing me in this? I'm, I'm. So what does it mean to test? I'm going to give you five tests this morning because you see, if you're going to test it, you have to know that what you're saying is from God. So here's five ways. I, we'll put them on the website. I noticed the last service people were taking pictures of it. Just take pictures of me. So... Uh, <laughs> We put it on the website, so, but here's what I would like to ask you to do. Wherever you have your time with God, would you print this out, copy it out, do something with it to where you can look at it. You see, if in the first 40 days of, of saying, I want to hear from you and I want to be used by you, if in the first 40 days you will learn these five tests, they'll be with you for the rest of your life. But you've got to make it a habit in the first 40 days. So get the sheet. Look at them together. Think about it. Here's the first one. Let me, let me unpack them with you. The first thing that you always have to do with anything you think might be from God is you have to test the origin of the thought, the word, the picture. 1 John 4 explains that you and I are in the middle of a spiritual intersection. And it's not just the Holy Spirit who intersects with your spirit. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So here's, here is the Apostle John saying that every believer has a spiritual battle going on for your thought life. And the origin of those thoughts has got to be tested by you. Now, some of my friends have really worked on this. Rob Reamer particularly has a good, very succinct test where you ask about, I don't know how many, remember how many questions, but there's a lot of questions and you listen in your own mind, you listen to what comes up when the questions are asked. 
And so it's using this testing the spirits methodology. And so you ask the person to listen when you ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? If that spirit is the Holy Spirit, then what will happen is there will be glory given to Jesus. There might be Bible verses that just pop up in your head. If you ask that spirit behind your thoughts and you say to that spirit, do you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? If that spirit is the Holy Spirit, there will be joy, joy in your heart. But what happens a lot of times, these spirits are pretty tricky. They're pretty, they're pretty uh, crafty. And even though, you know, you ask these questions, they'll just keep silent. And I, people sometimes say to me, I don't hear anything. And I say, okay, well, let's ask some more questions. So we, we go down a list. And one of my favorite questions is this. What is your purpose in this person's life? So uh, I was working with Rob one time at a, a, a deliverance session with a church. And the, the, one of the ministers of the church was having some difficulties, had some depression, had some anxiety, worry, all kinds of stuff. And he didn't want anybody to know because he was afraid he was going to lose his job if they found out he was demonized. And so he came up kind of quietly to me and he says, I, I don't have a settledness in my spirit. Some things are happening, but I'm not, I'm not really hearing anything. So I said, okay, let me just ask this one question. And I asked that question, what's your purpose? And as soon as I asked that question, this, this man looked at me and said, to kill me. Well, guess what? That's not God. And it's not him. So here's a guy trying to do ministry, but the origin of his thoughts is a spirit that wants to kill him. Can you imagine being asked to run a race and carry 300 pounds? That's what life is like when you're trying to do the things of God but the origin of your thoughts are a spirit that wants to steal, kill, or destroy you. That's why you have to realize that sometimes when people are saying to you, oh, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord told me to tell you this, sometimes it's their evil spirit masquerading as if it's the spirit of Christ, giving them words which are not encouraging, not comforting, and not building up. You see, you have to first know the origin of the thoughts. And you can't assume just because I think it, it's from the Lord. You have to test. So here's the way your own thoughts go. Our own thoughts tend to be progressive. In other words, you think this, it leads to that. Now, a lot of us, when we think this and it leads to that, it can also lead to all kind of rabbit trails. You know, you're before long, you're, you, you don't even know how you got where you were. And how to get back to where you want to be, even. You know, that, that's the human mind. But when the spiritual thoughts come, they come spontaneously. They come without connection. They're not your thought. They're not your progression. They're God, in a sense, dropping this thought, dropping this verbalization or this picture or this word into your life and trying to get you to listen, trying to get you to pay attention. It's a spontaneous action on God's part. See, the Hebrew word for real prophecy or genuine prophecy is the word navah, which means to flow. It flows in you. It bubbles up in you. It springs up. But the false word or the false prophetic word is zid, which means to boil up. In other words, it's cooked up. See, the true word flows... The untrue word boils, cooks. See, you don't need cooked up words. You need the true words of God which bubble up from your innermost being. But in order to have that bubbling up, you have to get rid of any other influences that are boiling up. Are you quiet because you're thinking? So the other thing is this, one tests the origin, but the other thing is, how does it compare to biblical principles? God will never say something to you personally which is contrary to his universal revelation as expressed in the scriptures. If the Bible states that something is a sin, no amount of journaling can make it right. See, a lot of us do. I, like, I don't journal uh, writing, I use my phone. And I record it, uh, I record messages to myself. 
And that's my journal. It's more like a, a voice recording journal. But no amount of that's going to make something wrong right. Much of what we journal about will not be specifically addressed in the scriptures. However, if you know the scriptures, you have the parameters in which God can speak into the moments and situations of your life. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is navigating life well. And a lot of things in your life are not issues of morality. They're issues of wisdom. And guess what the spirit is called? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Think about this. Uh, you could have two perfectly, you know, you could be dating two perfectly good candidates for marriage. Both of them moral, Christians, whatever it might be. But one of them is going to make your life hell. And the other is going to make your life flourish. Only wisdom can discern which of the two is that person. Because the scripture isn't going to say, don't marry her. Or don't marry him. Because as long as they fit all the other qualifications, it's going to take wisdom to know this is a partner with whom I can flourish. Same is true with a job. You could have two really good offers of jobs, and one of them could be just devastating to your life because you weren't wise in choosing it, and the other could flourish and cause you to have you know, thriving in your life. These are not issues of morality. These are issues of wisdom. And so what we need to do is know the scriptures well enough to know what God has already said so that then as he speaks in with wisdom to the choices we make, we make wise choices and we navigate life well. But here's the deal. I mean, I have people all the time who come to me and say, you know, I married the wrong person. And I said, well, tell me about that. Well, you know, this person wasn't a Christian. They weren't of my faith or anything else. But I was certain that God said he was going to change this person. And he was going to use me, you know, to change this person and all this stuff. I said, well, the scripture says that you should not be unequally yoked. So his word was already clear that this was a bad choice by you. And so instead of blaming God, guess who's to blame? This wasn't revelation. This was deception. All right, Mike, you're being hard, right? I'm being rough. No. can save you a whole lot of trouble if you'll just do what he says. Now, here's the beauty of God. We can screw up big time, but if you'll go back and listen and give it to him, he can redeem even the worst marriages or the worst decisions or the bad jobs because he knows what he was getting into with you when he committed and, and covenant to be your God. But only if you listen. Now, the third thing, compare it to the names and character of God as revealed in Scripture. Anything that God says to you will always be in harmony with his essential nature. This is one of the things that I love so much of knowing the names of God. Think, listen to me on this one. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. That's who he is. He's always going to be who he is. Jesus is our savior. He loves to save. I hear people say, I'm only going to ask one more thing, God. I'm just going to, I'm like, you can ask a million more things. Because one, he's your provider, and two, he's your savior, and he's always that. So he never gets tired of hearing your needs. But he's also Jehovah Nisi. He's your victory. He, Nisi means banner. He's the banner over us. And scripture says his banner over us is love. But also it means it's his victory. We live in victory. He is Jehovah Rapha. When you come to him for healing, you're not asking for something he's not. You're asking for what he is. And so if anything you're hearing is out of alignment with God's character, it's not God. I hear people all the time, oh, God is punishing me. Oh, God is angry with me. Oh, God is disappointed with me. Do you understand there's a verse that kind of cancels all of that out? If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So if you're hearing a condemning voice, I'm disappointed in you, I'm angry with you, I'm punishing you with this, then it's not God's voice. Because he will never act out of character. Come on, that's pretty good stuff. The fourth one, you have to test the fruit. I mean, a lot of things you will think this is God, but the fruit shows it wasn't God. 
Jesus said, you'll know things by their fruit. So think about this. When you hear something, does the effect it have on your soul, does it quicken your faith? Does it make you feel alive? Does it increase your love? Does it increase your peace and your joy? If you've been coming here a while, you'll realize something about the worship times that we have. We, ha- we do have wonderful musicians. We have great singers. That, 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 that's, not what, that's not what you experience alone here. When I hear them sing those songs... The hope of glory lives in me. It comes from their spirit to my spirit. My spirit testifies to the truth of it. I mean, I like the music and I like the voices that sing it. When, when Kara was singing the goodness of God, I, I will hear that net four times. Heard it last night, heard it at 8.30, heard it at 10. I'll hear it again at 11.45. And guess what? I will cry every time. Because immediately, my mind goes back to all the things where God came through for me. All my life, you have been faithful. And suddenly, the words that were written by somebody else become my spirit's words. You see, we don't come because it's good to sing. We come because because His Spirit prophetically moves in music. And our spirit confirms what his spirit is saying. And we are changed by it. But what if it, what if instead of humility you get a pride? Oh, I hear from God. Then it's not God. You know, what's, or it's God, but he's revealing how broken the vessel is. Words that you receive that they make you afraid or they make you doubt you've got to test those words if they bring you into confusion or anxiety or i've seen people that's like i know something no one's ever known in the history of the church uh no i want you to know something nothing i've ever said is new in my entire ministry nothing i've ever said is new if it was new it probably wasn't god Because he says the same thing in every generation. But if we will encounter him, it becomes new in the sense that it feels fresh, it feels today, it feels real. Lisa likes to say it this way. Our ingredients come from what went before us and from people around us. But the recipe is always ours. Because because it's going to be, in a way, unique because it comes through you. It comes through your personality, all that. But it's not new. It's not new. Can I, I tell you how important this test of fruit thing is? When I first started really saying, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to move in the prophetic. Um, Lisa decided to do it too. Anna, our daughter, did. And we were, we were trying to revitalize a dead church in Atlanta. And we were driving around and said, Lord, we'd like to live near the church. So we're driving around and we see this house. And it's this beautiful house. It looks like a Savannah house or a Charleston house, you know. And this is so crazy, friends, but the builder, it was a brand new house, and the builder left the door open. In New York, there would be no more toilets, there would be no more... I mean, it was insane. He just left the door open. And uh, so, you know, we went in and we started praying, God, is this our house? Now, now you got to listen to me. His timeless word says, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then everything in that chapter says, then he'll take care of your food, your clothing, your shelter, everything you need, he will take care of. So we were trusting in his promise, but boy, that was a pretty house. (laughs) So we'd sit there, you know, it was wide open, we sit there and we're praying together, the three of us, and we go, I think I'm hearing from the Lord, this is our house. (laughs) And Anna goes, yeah, I think I hear from the Lord. Lisa said, yeah, I think I hear from the Lord. I said, yeah, we're hearing from the Lord. And so it was way over the price we could afford. So we're saying, oh, Lord, bring the price down, you know. (laughs) Or, oh, Lord, bring our income up. Guess what? He did neither. We didn't get the house. We were convinced that was our house. 
I was angry. I said, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. This just hurt my feelings. Now listen to me on this. He actually had a perfect house for us. And he provided. And he provided in miraculous and extraordinary ways. But I was still angry that the other house wasn't it. So I kind of missed how good he was about the house because I was still angry at the other house. I was really immature as I'm trying to listen to God. And so I'm, I'm telling you that the fruit helps you know I need correcting. The fruit helps you know I was close, but I was still a little off. And if you don't have humility about hearing from the Lord, then nobody can ever correct you. And once you get off, friends, you can go way off. He's an awesome God, and he taught me that even though I wanted to hear him so much, my own desires were getting in the way of hearing clearly. And then it took me months to get over it, and I missed what he was doing in the months where he was working and actually providing what he had for me. Please, don't miss what I'm trying to teach you this morning. Test the spirits. Test the words. Well, the last thing is this. We are New Testament community. He does not give you the full revelation ever. He gives you some of it. And we're to share it with other people. There's wisdom that comes. You see, Elijah was all alone, but you're not Elijah. You're in the community. You're in a covenant community. Even when I heard earlier, they talk about an announcement of joining the church. Look, if you're a believer, you're our brother, you're our sister, you're our family. But see, only you can decide if you're going to make a covenant with us to become a part of this community. If you're, if you're just a casual dater, it's not going to be the same as if you marry. And it's in that where, see, we really can say, you know, you are hearing from God, but you're a little off here. Or are your words, you're not thinking through your words clearly. Because, you see, I can't tell strangers that. I can only tell family that. That's one of the scary things about families. They can tell you almost anything. We are members of a body. A cord of three strands is not easily broken and God's intention has always been for us to grow together. Nothing will increase your faith and your ability to hear from God like having it confirmed by two or three other people. So here's the practical part. Share it with spouse, parents, friends, your elder, your group leader, even your grown children can be a sounding board. The people don't need to be perfect, nor do they need to be super spiritual. As a matter of fact, sometimes super spiritual people will say, oh, that sounds great, even though it's horrible. And, and other people just go, that wasn't from God. I love it when I go to Lisa and say, I think the Lord is saying. She's like, nope, not the Lord. <laughs> Maybe the pizza from last night, but it's not the Lord. So they just, the people that you speak to need to love you, be committed to being available to you, have a solid biblical orientation. They must also willingly and easily receive counsel. See, wherever there's this authoritarian kind of existence that says, I am the only one who has the word of God. You know, there isn't a time in anybody's life here on earth that we don't need to keep listening and keep hearing from God. So I'm asking you, think about the two or three people that are close enough in your life that you can test what you're hearing and have them confirm it or have them correct it. Are you hearing me today? Will you stand with me? Would you close your eyes with me? If we're honest, there's been a significant drop-off from the first century church as a community of prophets, a prophetic community, and our church today. I wanted to say this a little bit earlier, but I'm, I'm going to say it now as we pray together. I love Rockland County. I love New York. I wish I had a Bronx accent. <laughs> I love accents here. I love, I just love it when I hear someone and I go, I know where they're from. But we're not enough to reach them. 
We need the spirit of prophecy. We need to become a community that is a prophetic community. We need to be the testimony of Jesus. You have a beautiful testimony, and, and, and it is powerful, but Jesus wants to speak his words, his words, through you to them. And we can do this, friends. This is what we were brought into the kingdom for. We're not suspending the natural. We're restoring the natural. But it can only be done with the Holy Spirit. And he's not going to force himself. He's not going to force his fullness on you. He's not going to force you to become something you don't want to do. But if today your spirit is resonating with what I'm sharing with you and you, you're saying, I want to hear from God and I, I will test. Because I don't want to speak things that aren't of God. All of us have to develop. When we're wrong, we admit it. We're humble. We grow. But think about this. Once you're moving, he can steer you. A parked car has a useless thing called a steering wheel. Steering wheel is only effective when you start moving. I believe the Lord is inviting you. I don't think it's an accident that you're here. I think it's an intersection. Where the thoughts of the Lord and the mission of the Lord is intersecting with your thoughts. The least one in this room has the same Holy Spirit that Jesus did his ministry in. The things I do, Jesus said, you will do. And greater. Because I go to the Father. Would you mind praying? I'm going to give you the words. Think through them as I say them. But if you'd pray them with me. Would you say this? Lord, we want to have no drop off. To do the things you're doing. And greater things. We receive your witness, your testimony. We surrender to your voice. This is very personal, but would you say this? I receive the spirit of prophecy in a fresh way. For wisdom, for, wisdom for, revelation, for revelation, for my mission. For my mission. In, Jesus name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today.